0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations, and our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week and the week before, we were in the book of Acts chapter 3. And we were talking about um, the story of the lame man who was healed by Peter and John at the, the, the temple gates, the gate called Beautiful inside of the temple. And there was a crowd of people that gathered and of course, like I think it would happen here if we prayed for someone and God supernaturally healed them that everybody's attention would be on what God just did. And so that's exactly what happened in the temple. And so this man was healed by Peter and John. And so a crowd comes and they were trying to figure out just what is going on. And of course, Peter seizes the opportunity as he did in Acts chapter two when a crowd was drawn. He seizes the opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He seizes that moment to give God the credit to give the credit where it should go, the credit goes to Jesus and to prove to the Jewish people that the Messiah had come. And that the reason why this man was healed is he was healed in the name of Jesus. And of course, we talked about what the name of Jesus meant, what that represented. It's not just the magic potion that we use when we, or the magic formula to get our prayers answered. We just add, I want this, this, to this in the name of Jesus. What you're saying when you're asking for something in the name of Jesus is you're saying, I'm speaking as a representative of Jesus. I'm asking for what his will is in the earth to be accomplished. So God, I believe this is what you want to happen, so I'm asking in your authority, in your name for this thing to take place. And that's what happened. And so Peter seizes that opportunity and he's preaching to the crowd of people. And then we get to Acts chapter four. So, if you will, go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 1, as we pick up our story. Peter's still preaching. He's still talking to the crowd. He's still telling them about Jesus. The man that was healed is still right there beside them, clinging to Peter and John. Verse 1 says this. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard and some Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is a resurrection from the dead. So here's Peter and John doing God's will, doing what God wants them to do. And as they're doing what God wants them to do, the very people that you would think should be supporting them and helping them are the ones who are turning around and persecuting them. And this persecution is the very beginning of persecution in the church. This was not the last persecution. This was the very, this was the open door to persecution in the church. And it started with the Jewish people. It started with God's chosen people. I mean, you know, sometimes as a Christian, whenever you get born again, you're surprised by the very people who turn against you. How many of have ever been there? The people that have been saying, you need to change your life, you need to do better, all of a sudden, you get born again, and all of a sudden, you get a little too saved for them. Like, whoa, hold on, I, I don't wanna to go to church every Sunday. Maybe once a month is good. This is what happened to Peter and John. They're in an intimate relationship with God and they're preaching his good news, his gospel, and the religious people are that they are threatened by what they're doing. And again, this was the first wave and we'll talk about more persecutions that came to the church. And let me just say this, persecution in the church is not, it's not something that should be foreign to the church. It is a part of the church. From the very beginning of the church, there have been people who have not liked the fact that we're serving Jesus. That is not something new, that is not something that is unique to our day and our time. From the very beginning, this has been, this has been the, the start of Christianity. And this just goes to show. Back in this day, if you were going to serve God, it, was not a, it, not, it wasn't because you were in some popularity contest. It wasn't because you wanted to have a lot of Christian followers on Instagram. It wasn't because you wanted your music necessarily to have a, a Christian fan base, so I pretend to be a Christian so I can have this Christian fan base. They knew that if I am following Jesus, I'm following Jesus with the threat of being persecuted. They did this because they were convinced that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Lord. And I love the language that the Bible uses. It says these leaders, church leaders, religious leaders, not Christian leaders, but religious leaders, and we'll talk about who they were in a moment, it says these leaders were very disturbed, very disturbed. Let me just tell you, the gospel will disturb people. When you are telling the truth about Jesus and who he is, it is disturbing because it doesn't allow you to stay the way that you are. See God loves you just the way that you are but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Anyone is welcome into this church, let me just say that anyone is welcome into this church if you've come from any walk in life and you're wrestling and struggling with sin the church is a hospital for the hurting it is no one should walk into this church and feel like okay uh, these people got it all together I'm their pastor no they don't no they don't but as you come and you don't, you don't go to a hospital expecting to leave the hospital the same. You go to a hospital expecting to leave the hospital better. And so when people are coming into the house of God, God loves you enough to change you. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus was not, hey, come pray this prayer. I want everybody to come to heaven. So that's, I means just pray this prayer. No, Jesus came and said, I'm either Lord of all or not at all. You either follow me or you don't. There was never a more polarizing figure in the world than Jesus Christ. Because out of all the world's religion, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who says, there is no other way other than me. See, no other religion can really teach that and say that. Jesus could say, I am God. And either you follow me or you are not following God very polarizing, but full of love and full of grace, but also full of truth, full of truth. And that's what Jesus does, and that's why today you can talk about God and people will go, oh yeah, that's cute. You can talk about religion, and you're a religious person, and people go, good for you, but you bring up the name of Jesus in the conversation, and you watch the room divide. Because Jesus came saying, it's my way. My way is the way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the light. See, that's what Jesus came and came to say and came to do. He came to bring us into the right way, into a relationship with God the Father. But there are no other ways. You can't have um, a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of Muhammad, a little bit of Hare Krishna, and I kind of throw it all together. No, 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 Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way and because of that persecution comes because we live in a society and, and even they did as well back in that time and again we're going to talk about more of this in this book. I hope y'all are enjoying this book. I'm loving the book of Acts right now but their, their society was very similar to our society in many, many ways. It was very pluralistic, it was very open, it was very, this is for you, this is for you, this is for you, until someone says, hey, no, this is the way. Wait a minute, who are you? Who are you to tell us this is the way? Well, I'll tell you who he was, he was God. And he was opening up a path to say, this is how you follow me. Because of that, persecution came. And they had real persecution. Not like Facebook persecution. So I think we think if somebody talks bad about us today, like, oh my gosh, my life is over. That's over in two weeks. Right. These people were put in jail. Again, I don't wanna jump ahead of myself, but this was real persecution that they were willing to endure because they were convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, who was it that was persecuting them? It was the religious leaders. And I want to tell you a little bit about these religious leaders so you, you understand kind of the context of why they were persecuting them and why they were doing this. Um, there were two in the Gospels, in the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Remember, Luke is the same author of Acts. Luke, who wrote Acts, also wrote Luke. And so when he wrote the book of Luke, the Bible talks a lot about these two types of religious leaders. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Everybody say Pharisees. Sadducees. So, who were these people? So, in in this text that we just read, it's talking about the Sadducees. It mentions the Sadducees, but the Bible and the Gospels, it talks a lot about the Pharisees. And so, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the dominant religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees, as a matter of fact, still exist today. They still exist today. But the Pharisees, they were, the, they were the, the leaders who, they took what was called the oral traditions or the, the, the Bible, the, the traditions of man that were passed down from generation to generation. And because of that, they started adding things to what God originally said. So they were, they were saying things like, listen, don't, you, you have to wash your hands before you come. They were just like moms. mom, before you go to church, take that hat off your head, wash your hands. That was kind of like the Pharisees. They added all of these traditions to what God said and they expected the people to follow not only what God said, but with the, tradition, excuse me, the traditions that they had in place as well. So they added all of these things together. They were very particular and they were very religious in a very bad way. They seemed to be these super spiritual giants, but inside of their hearts, they were very corrupt people. As a matter of fact, Jesus called them whitewashed tombstones. Do you know what that means? It means you look pretty on the outside, but you're full of death on the inside. Jesus speaking to religious leaders called them a brood of vipers. He said, y'all are snakes. Why would Jesus say that? Because he was full of truth. And he challenged these religious leaders, There were moments where these Pharisees would try to correct Jesus because, again, his disciples didn't wash their hands. Think about this for a moment. Here is God walking with people, and they're trying to correct God because his followers didn't wash their hands. That's how religious they were and legalistic and listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating for just throwing caution to the wind and doing whatever because we're free in Christ. I'm not advocating for that. But this is a bit much. They were legalistic. They wanted everybody to follow the rules by, to the T. And those were, these were the people who persecuted Jesus in the Gospels, in the book of Luke. They pers- the Pharisees persecuted Jesus. Now, one thing that the Pharisees had going for them is they believed in the supernatural power of God. They believed in angels, they believed in demons, and they believed there would be a resurrection from the dead. Y'all with me so far? They believed that. So that was the Pharisees. That was one group. But then the other dominant group was the Sadducees. Everybody say Sadducees. Sadducees. These people were the opposite of the Pharisees. These were the political influencers of the day. These were the religious leaders who were buddy-buddy with the government and buddy-buddy with Rome. They They were real good friends and close to all of the people who were in charge and they would use their influence. These were the people who ran the temple. They were in charge of the temple and the temple as I mentioned before was the very center of, of Israel the very center of Jerusalem that's where you could not be a good Jew unless you understood that the temple was where God met with man and man met with God and so they were the ones who were in charge and guess what they were crooks they used their influence to get wealth to get gain these were these people and and Here's the thing, not only did they do that, but they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe there was such a thing as as angels or demons or the supernatural power of God. They had an excuse for every supernatural thing that God did in the Old Testament. Very similar to what a lot of people do today. Ah, God does not really do that, he didn't really do that, this was kind of a metaphor for that. No, he really parted the Red Sea. No, Jonah really was swallowed by a big fish. How do I know that? Some lobster fisherman got swallowed by a whale just the other day. so ironic. We preached about that. The very next week it happened, It's this guy going, I'm God. And so not only that. These Sadducees, they didn't believe in God's power and they didn't believe, this is so ironic and mind-blowing, these religious people who ran the temple, they did not believe in the resurrection, meaning they believed that when you died, your soul died and that was it. They believed this life was all there was. That's what a lot of scholars say of them. They believed that once I die, that's it. And so there was no concept in their mind for this this power of God or this resurrection or all of these different things. And so this is why they were so opposed to what Peter and John were talking about because Peter and John are preaching. They were preaching about salvation through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that now? Does that context, you get this context, context, excuse me? One person. Anybody else understand that? Okay, thank you. So that's why they're so opposed to this. And this is a side note, but this is foundational to who we are as Christians. You have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not believe in the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what our society, our culture is. Done. I preach a lot against culture because it's wrong. That's why. But the, what, our, what our, even sometimes Christian cultures have done, if, if we've said things like, I'm a Christian because I was raised in church. Or I'm a Christian because I went to church with my grandma. And, I, and you know I, I'm a Christian because I'm from the South. So we think by association, we're Christians. You are not a Christian unless you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no Christian box that we're in because of some associations. We're either born again or we are not. And we talked about this in our series Foundation. Remember this. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That is how we're saved. Well, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I mean, I think I prayed a prayer back in the day. It's not how it works. Are you born again? Are you born again? Jesus once again says, I am the way. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through me. Now, what's sad about these Sadducees, these men, is that they knew the word of God, but they didn't know the God of the word. And let me tell you, as Christians, we want both. Yeah. We want to have a good grasp on what the word of God says, but we also want to know the God of the word. Yeah. We want to know the heart of the one who penned it so we can understand what he was communicating. That's good. That's good. We want to know both. Some people, you have those people, again, we've, we've talked about this before, but those people that, I don't read my Bible, but I hear from Jesus every morning. Really? <laughs> I'm pretty sure he would tell you to read your Bible. <laughs> Right? But then you have those people who are like, okay, this, 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 this. When's the last time you prayed? 1985 sometime. No, we want both. We want to know God's word and know God's heart. Now, it's very sad that these men were the way that they were. It's very sad. That's why they called them sad, you see, because they were sad, you see. (laughs) I couldn't resist. I had to. I couldn't resist. Verse 3. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. Here's Peter and John doing what they normally do, preaching, praying for the sick, them getting healed, And instead of them getting a parade or a big blast on social media like you might get today or get put on TV, they got put in jail. And they were willing to face this for the gospel. They counted it a joy, an honor to face this for the gospel. Jesus even said, the Bible talks about being a partaker in his suffering. What do you think that means? It means this. They were a partaker of the same suffering that he faced. And they counted that a joy and an honor to do that. That's a far cry from the Christianity that we, that we have in a lot of cases where we're afraid to maybe let a coworker know we're a Christian because they might make fun of us. It's a far cry from that. Verse 4, but many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5 That's just men, not counting women and children. So from the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people were born again to now where there's probably, if you're, probably you can safely say at least 10,000 people are now in the church in a relatively short amount of time. Now, I want to draw your attention to something. Growth as a church is important. Growth is important. And I mean, draw your attention to this. How did they know there were 5,000 people? Because they counted them. They counted them. There were 5,000 men. And I know some of you may say, well, pastor, it's it's not about numbers. It's not about numbers unless you aren't in that number. Then all of a sudden, you want to be in that number. Right, when we stand before God, He knows exactly how many people are there. Numbers are important because numbers represent people. It's not about how big a church is, and I know there's people like, I don't really like big churches. I understand it, I I get that. Find one that works for you. But a church that has the heart of God is is a church that has a heart to grow because they realize it's not just about the growth numerically, but those numbers are people that are being brought into the kingdom. There was a story of a pastor in in, um, Phoenix, Arizona, and he had a very, very large church in the Phoenix area. And one day a lady came to him and said, Pastor, don't you think the church is getting a little too big? I think you should maybe consider not doing so many salvation calls and all of that stuff and maybe just let's stop growing and catch our breath a little bit. And this pastor looked at her and he said, I'll pray about that. I'll go, to, I'll go before the Lord and I'll pray about that. And she said, okay, but not, don't start next week because my son's flying in from Dallas. And if you could preach one more time a salvation message to him, then. And he looked at her and he said, I think you just answered your own question. Because as long as your family and your friends don't know Jesus, we have to keep growing. We have to keep growing. The numbers represent the people, and the numbers represent what God is doing. It represents what God is doing. Verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded By what power or in whose name have you done this? In other words, who do you think you are? How dare you come in here and you do this? And we want to know, in whose authority did you just do this? Now, let me explain something to you about this question. This question was a trick. They were setting them up. Because in the Old Testament, in the Law, when Moses is giving the Law to the people that he got from God, there was a stipulation in the Law about this type of moment. And this is what it says in Deuteronomy, chapter thirteen. Deuteronomy, excuse me, chapter thirteen, verse one. It says this: Suppose there are prophets among you, or those who dream dreams about the future, and they promise you signs or miracles, and the predicted signs or miracles occur. If they then say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and your soul. And it goes on to say that if you follow, these men, if you find out that they aren't really prophets, kill them, stone them. So as these religious leaders are asking Peter and John whose name they're doing this in, they are hoping that they say anything other than God. Because if they do, then that gives them the legal right to kill Peter and John on the spot. That's how deceptive and how, how wicked that these men actually were. They were trying to get them to say something that would not glorify God so that they could put them to death. But I absolutely love what happens next. I love what happens next. This is what the Bible says. I'm just gonna stop right after this verse for a minute. Acts chapter four, verse eight. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people. Let me stop right there before I tell you what he said. I've talked about this a number of times, but this, this just blows me away. Here's Peter. I want you to see the boldness that he had. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus. He denied knowing Jesus. And according to Luke chapter 22, when, don't miss this, please don't miss this. When Peter denied Jesus three times, where was Peter? I'll tell you where Peter was when he denied him. Jesus was standing in front of the high priest at the high priest's house being questioned. Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest's house standing around a group of people warming himself by the fire. And the people in the courtyard outside of the high priest's house were asking him, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. A servant girl asked him, I think you're one of his followers. Girl, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. Another man says, "I see I saw you with that Jesus guy. No, not me." And then of course, the rooster crows, and he, Peter remembers that Jesus told him that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. outside of the high priest's house. Who was Peter standing in front of right now? The high priest? He's standing in front of the exact same man who was questioning Jesus. Last time, not only would he have denied Jesus in front of the high priest, he denied Jesus in front of a servant girl who had no power to do anything over his life. Now, here he is, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing in front of the exact same man that Jesus stood in front of, and he is boldly proclaiming Jesus as Lord. Why? Because God had filled him with his spirit and filled him with boldness. And there's some things that a lot of people think, well, Peter was just bold by nature. No, 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 no. Don't, don't mistake strong personalities for boldness. You can have a strong personality that when the rubber meets the road, they're the first one running out of this building. You want boldness, think about men like Pastor Scott Branningham back there, that when there's a fire, he's running into it. Right? Think about other men in our church. Men, I've, st- I've gone to hospital rooms with James Bertrand. I'll, I'll talk about James, but he's a close friend of mine. I've gone to hospital rooms where everybody's looking around and, and wondering James is bust. Where are they at? Where are they at? I'm gonna pray for them. You know Jesus? I'm the doctor. Okay, well not you. Who's, where's, where's the person that needs to know Jesus? Right? That's boldness. That has nothing to do with personality. Peter had a strong personality. But when the rubber met the road, he cowered in fear. Versus now, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and now he's filled with boldness. Yes. Filled with boldness. I love that. I hope y'all caught that, because I just enjoyed that. If you didn't, well, I had a good time. <laughs> he's standing in front of the same man, Ananias, the high priest. The man who has the power to put him to death, and he's boldly proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Church, listen to me. We live in a day and time where our world needs bold witnesses. The world we live in needs bold witnesses, not weird witnesses. This is not a message encouraging you to do weird stuff. If you're weird, you're just weird. Bold witnesses for Jesus. People who are unashamed of the gospel and unashamed of Jesus. Why does the world need that? They don't even know that they're looking for something, but they are. They are. They don't even know what they're looking for. I'm not saying they're looking for God, but there is something inside of them that they know. Something's not right, and I don't know where to go, and I don't know what to do. And here we are as the church of Jesus Christ with the answer, with the solution. And they need that. The world needs bold witnesses, not timid witnesses that maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'll pray for you a little bit. I'm not sure, but don't ask me any questions. They need someone that says, I know the way. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect. None of us are. None of us are. But you know the very thing that can change their lives. He lives in you. The solution that this world needs lives inside of you. This world needs you to be a bold witness for Jesus. It needs it. It needs someone who's willing to say, I know the way. I know the, pro- I know the solution. Your family's a wreck, I know who can fix it. You're troubled, you're tormented in your soul, I know who can heal you. Feel like your life is over, you feel like you're hopeless, I know the giver of hope. You have that inside of you because you have the kingdom of God inside of you. And everywhere you go, you bring the king with you. Everywhere you go. The world needs us to be bold Witnesses. And I'll tell you, just very practically, it's been increasingly easier and easier to invite people to church. Yep. I'm just telling you this. I'm not, I'm not asking you to do something I'm not doing myself. I'm out inviting people to church, inviting people to come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, 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 don't, I don't know this, that this was just 2020, but I know the Holy Spirit's at work and he's using what happened in 2020. Yeah. I know that. And I'm talking, I'll I'll go places from from the barbershop to meeting with politicians, and they are open. They are open. Praying with them, people pursuing. Hey, when are you gonna start a Bible study? When are you gonna do, not even Christians. But they need something, and we have the answer to it. Church, don't miss this moment that God has put us in. God has given us a moment to share who he is. And I want to ask you very practically. Yeah, that's right, Pastor. That's right. We're supposed to be bold witnesses. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? Let's get real. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? When's the last time you invited someone to come to church? When's the last time you said, hey, you're going through something? Let me pray with you. Because that's what they need to see. Jesus in you. Pastor, you said it great in a great way last week. You said, if they're not asking... There's a problem. Maybe there's a problem with our walk if they're not talking. Examine our lives. When's the last time that we did that? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray with God to fill us with the boldness to be a witness. Well, Pastor, I didn't come to church for that. I came so you would encourage me today. I hope this does encourage you. I hope this encourages you to see that your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. You exist for something more than to get a paycheck. You exist to spread him throughout this region, throughout your realm of influence. You have influence I will never have. You can touch the hearts of people I don't even know. And God will use you to do it. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. Verse 8. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And listen to this, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the, the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Peter's quoting from Psalm 118. It's a psalm about the Messiah, again, written so many years prior to the the Messiah, Jesus coming. And he's he's quoting this, and he's saying the very thing that the builders needed, they rejected. The cornerstone, another way of saying the cornerstone is the capstone or the finishing piece. So in other words, you can build this house, but it's not finished until you put that capstone on it. And there's, he's saying, the building is not finished, and you rejected the very thing that you needed to build God's house. You rejected him. In other words, he's saying, you're looking for the Messiah, but you missed him. To the Pharisees, that's what he's saying. To the Sadducees, he's saying, you may not even believe that there is such a thing as a Messiah, but there is, and the Bible tells us about him, and you missed him. Reject it. The cornerstone. Verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Church, can I encourage you with something? You don't have to have a degree or a title in front of or behind your name to be a bold witness for Jesus. You don't. And I know especially in in our our, our Cajun culture here, when we think, somebody needs prayer, let me go get the priest or the pastor. You have the same Jesus inside of you. You pray for them. Listen, you bring me in for the big stuff. You can bring me in for the small stuff too, but I'm just saying. (laughs) Step in and let the kingdom of God inside of you come out. Let God use you. And it says these men, they were, they, they were taken back by their courage because they were expecting them to be timid and afraid and bow down, but they did not because they were filled with courage. And he didn't expect them to know the word of God either. Not only, see, they didn't have any special training. They didn't go to some seminary. They didn't go to any of those different things. But they spent three years with the author of the book, So they knew the word of God. They knew it. Again, don't wait to go to some training or something in order to share what Jesus has done in your life. You can, how do I share? How do I be a witness? Witness to them. Tell them what he did for you. Tell them how he changed you. Tell them what you've seen him do in your life. That's how you witness. Again, the apostles spent three years with Jesus, and these men been recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you know God or do you know about God? Do you know God or do you know about God? And let me blow your minds with something. I'm not even talking about whether or not you're going to heaven one day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about do you have a relationship with him that you spend time with him, that you hear from him? See, the blood of Jesus washes you clean. The blood of Jesus has paved your way for eternity. That saves you. But are you actively walking with him? Are you learning from him so you have something to give to people who need to hear from him? I can't show up in this pulpit dry and having not spent any time with God. You would know it. You would leave and go, how was Pastor Gabe's sermon today? We really like Pastor Cave. He tried. He tries. Bless his heart. Now we need to walk with our King. We need to walk with our Lord. We need to know him. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. What are you gonna say? Y'all are frauds. This man can now walk. This man who couldn't walk is now healed in front of you. What are you gonna say? Not a real miracle? And I love, we talked about this two weeks ago. Jesus passed by this man. Jesus walked by this man. And Jesus probably, as he was walking by him, probably looked at him and knew his timing would come. He said, I'm not going to hear you now, but it's coming. God's timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. And he knew that one day his followers would pray for that man who everybody knew. And there would be no denying that God had just done a miracle in them. This was not like a person who came in from out of town and you can question, ah, I bet they gave him some money. No, no, no. This man over 40 years, over 40 years had probably sat at that gate and they watched him. And now he was healed. There was nothing they could say. God had done this. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and they conferred conferred among themselves. Verse 16, what should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. God was moving and they couldn't deny it. When God is actively moving in our midst, you can't deny it. The only way you can deny it is to lie to yourselves. And that's what they did. God did this miracle for them to see as well. And instead, they called this message propaganda. And they threatened the apostles. And this is Peter's response, and I'm almost done. Verse 19. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. See, Peter and John were willing to disobey the authorities of their day because they were appealing to a higher authority, God's authority. Now, don't miss this. If the authorities of their day were aligned with what God was wanting to do, they would have obeyed them. See, what Peter and John didn't do is go, what? I'm going to write a letter to Rome. What? I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to blast y'all. They said, nope, we're going to obey God. You do what you have to do and we're going to do what God wants us to do. And we live in a culture where we, we don't want authority. We don't like authority. And some of us will try to categorize, well, I think God wants this, so I don't have to listen to the police when they pull me over. I don't want that ticket. God doesn't want me to have this ticket. <laughs> so I'm gonna obey God rather than man. No, that's called going to jail. I'm not not advocating for anarchy. Neither is the Bible advocating for anarchy. But what the Bible is advocating for, and what these men did, is they said, if you are saying this and you're the authority, I'm going to have to appeal to the higher authority. And God, through Jesus, wants us to preach this gospel. And you can persecute us all you want, but we are going to stand on the truth. Verse 21, and I'm done. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Church, what am I saying? And we're gonna get to the church's response to this next week. But what, we, what do we take from this? We take this. God wants us to be bold witnesses. In the face of a culture that may be against you because of what Jesus says, you be a bold witness. In the face of people who tell you, you can't talk about Jesus, you be a bold witness. When persecution comes your way, family members turn on you. Well, no, you should be coming to church with us, but God's called me here. Well, we're going to do away with you from the family, we're going to be a bold witness for Jesus. The world needs you to be that. Because when they're looking for the truth, they know where to find it. Can I pray for you? Please close your eyes, bow your heads, let's pray. Lord again I come to you and I ask you to do what you said you would do to pour out a spirit of evangelism on this church to make us bold witnesses to reap the harvest Jesus you said in your word the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few raise up laborers in this house raise up evangelists in this house that will go out into their communities, God, that will go out into Broussard and to go out into St. Martinville and to go out, God, into New Iberia, God, into Lauraville, God, into Coto and the Cypress Island and all the decayed, all of these areas and be bold witnesses for you and to bring into your house the reward, Jesus, of your suffering. Help us share what you've done for us Help us share how you've changed us. If we're mocked or we're ridiculed, we're in good company. We're with you. If we're made fun of, we're in good company. You were too. But for those whose lives are changed because of the testimony of Jesus, I pray we would sit back and go, God, thank you for using us to be a light and to be a witness. I thank you for that. With every eye closed and every head bow, if you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor Gabe, talking about being a witness for Jesus and I don't know him I'm far away from him I'm not born again Jesus said it this way as I talk about this kingdom Jesus said this you can't enter this kingdom the kingdom of heaven that doesn't just begin in eternity although it comes with that it comes with eternity with God in heaven but it begins here on earth his kingdom begins here on earth If you say, Pastor, I'm not in that kingdom, Jesus said you can't be in it unless you're first born again. And today he's offering you the opportunity to be born again, to have your sins forgiven, to have a righteous standing before him. That means that you stand before him justified, just as if you had never sinned, made righteous in his sight in a relationship with the Father. How do I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, you admit. Admit the truth that there is sin in your life, that you are a sinner and you are separated from him. B, you believe that he came to solve that problem and it is a problem. You were born into this world with sin that separates you from God. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross, he was the solution to that problem. And C, you confess that he is now Lord. How do you confess he's Lord? By repenting of your sin, which means turning from your sin and saying, I'm putting him on the seat of rulership, that he is the boss of my life and I'm choosing to follow him. So if that's you and no one looking around, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to just lift up your hand and you can put it right back down. But I want you to acknowledge boldly that I'm giving my life to him today. one, Two, Three. If that's you, lift up your hand. If you say, that's me. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Today, I'm giving my life to Jesus. Today, I want to be born again. Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. And if you raise your hand, this is your prayer of surrender to him. Say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin for my guilt and for my shame I believe you faced hell so I would not have to go and you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on this earth and a relationship with the Father so I repent of my sin and I choose to follow you And from this moment on, God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.